Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Science of Pokemon. If this is your first time, hey, welcome. I'm, I am your host, Veteran Lucas, and with me, as per usual, is our friend, Professor Colin. What's up, man? How you been? Good. How are you? I'm great. No, the school year started, so the aquarium is silent. And whenever I work with children, like, they're just with families, and they're super nice and not in a mob trying to eat me. How about you? Uh, lots of, you know, charity events and... Back to school, yeah, that's that's happening, and uh, you know that's always a very uh, busy time. I mean, I'd bet you're the one who's the actual school teacher. All right, so this next episode, um, for those who were here for the last episode, we did an entire thing on the invertebrates that are not really covered, the ones that are kind of overlooked. But we are going to be focusing today on one of the biggest groups of arthropoda, so the big group that everyone usually forgets exists but are everywhere. The crustaceans. So we have plenty of material for bugs and spiders, and believe me, we'll get to them, but these guys are effectively the bugs of the sea. They are just as good, if not better, at surviving, and some of them are way more terrifying. So that's what we're going to be focusing our episode on today. Yeah, sounds, uh, sounds squishy. Squishy? Oh, come on now. You got to come up with a better, better one with that, or I'll get crabby. Ha ha. No, that was, that was, that was our worst pun. To the music. Alrighty, so let's get right to it. So, for those of you who um, who might not have considered it, and I, I'm sure everyone already has, but now a lot of people consider these guys just just water bugs, crustaceans. That that's effectively what they are. They're part of the group known as arthropoda, and the arthropods are the Swiss Army knife of animals. When there is a problem, whenever there's something that gets in their way, they come up with a new body plan or segment or appendage to deal with that problem. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I can't grab anything. I'll grow big, meaty claws. If I need to swim, I'll make swimmerettes. If I need to fight back, I'll just grow a tail with a stinger. And that if I need to be praised, praise he be the almighty one, the helix. Oh, all glory to the helix. All that, It's an old joke, but it's a good joke. Everyone, get on your knees and all pray to the helix. We'll take a moment. Yes, praise, praise be the helix. <laughs> all right, and we're done praising the helix. Now, what is super cool is that there's over 67,000 different species that we know of. Each one of them shares similar characteristics. That They're segmented. They each have uh, multiple appendages that are jointed. Each have antennas. Some have antennas and mandibles, while some live are going to be either on the water deep down in the trenches and some don't even live in the water period uh, but their sizes range so drastically there's ones that are less than an inch long and then you have some that are 18 feet wide with the um giant spider crabs there's these, these mm -hmm. massive massive animals i know uh, for all of you under yes we're all going to be making yum sounds because that's what most people uh, know about crustaceans we'll get to that part <laughs> <laughs> uh, now what is cool is that the ones that don't live in water still in some cases have to find water to work with so there are hermit crab species uh like the uh, purple pincher hermit crab it's a land-dwelling one that has to go near water and rub all that water onto its gills in order to get its oxygen but they still have those similar characteristics uh we talked about a uh, crabrawler in our very second episode and how it doesn't deserve to be a water type because it may be a crab, but it's based on the coconut crab, which really doesn't need to go anywhere, which really doesn't need to go in the water. Uh, now, from the cold waters of Antarctica, 
you get things like krill. And krill, if you have never really heard of it, it is the most important piece of food for the world's oceans, like by far. It is the biggest hunk of biomass on the planet. And it literally, and I do mean this, literally is the lifeblood of Antarctica. It cannot exist without it, and thus the oceans would be lesser. Now, we also have the shrimp and barnacles we know of today. Like, I live in Florida, so Gulf Coast shrimp is a thriving business here. Shrimp gumbo, shrimp stew, shrimp kebabs. Shrimp pot pies, shrimp on a stick, shrimp with stick. Like, it's, there's tons That's of it. pretty much everything I know about shrimp <laughs> <laughs> what is um what is cool is that um with these crustaceans a lot of our our industry functions on crustaceans worldwide um everyone talks uh, um, not anymore but remember when uh, the deadliest catch was like this huge thing no it was a big thing it, it was no, i mean it's, I guess it's, yeah i mean it was a thing it was a thing i wouldn't call it a huge thing but yeah it was a thing i actually know someone who was on it yeah, now what's so cool from a biology standpoint is that these crabs are 700 feet down and they have to get these massive nets and cages out there to grab them. Uh, but what is even more amazing is the amount of people that actually go fishing for these animals. Now, the most common group that um, people are familiar with um, are the decapods. And these are the ones that we're eating all the time. So these are the crabs, lobsters, shrimp. Now, some of them don't... No, that's uh, that's uh. Oh God, now I was gonna I was gonna make a, a Moana joke, but too late. Let's keep going. Uh, no, 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 it's all good. It's too good. It, I mean, he is a decapod. That that's the joke. When he says look it up, well, this counts as looking it up. He is a decapod. That means that they have ten legs, but some of them have more than ten legs. Like they're they're not true legs, so they're not really counted. But all of them have a ten-legged system. Now, how much? Um, how much seafood do we eat from crustaceans worldwide? How much do you think? Oh, I mean, it, it's I, I actually have to know this. I was just listening to uh, this uh, science talk, uh, or star talk, sorry, with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. They were just interviewing uh, marine biologists last week. Oh, really? so they, were, they were actually just talking about the overfishing and overpollution of the oceans, and this a lot of this stuff came up, actually. I don't know. I mean, I know it's millions and millions of tons. Um, in 2007, the United Nations put up a report through Food and Agriculture Organization, which is the organization that works to try and prevent world hunger. Their full records back just in 2007, so the number has definitely increased, 10.5 million tons of crustaceans. We've gone up another 2 billion people by then, so yeah. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. The amount that we consume and the amount that we need is fantastic. Now, the reason why we don't immediately notice like the loss of these like sharks we're noticing that loss right now because we take 300 billion of them out of the ocean every year but unlike sharks most crustaceans lay millions of eggs throughout their lifetime so they have a much higher fertility rate than most other animals would that we are hunting even more so than most fish uh that but you are right the conservation effort on overfishing is massive and there are now stricter regulations on that or people pushing for stricter ones so things like going after king crab or gulf shrimp there's catch limits seasonal hunting if you've ever no. seen like but even, even Planet Money, you know, NPR's uh, uh, economic reporters, you know, they, they've even talked about, you know, that people find a way to to sneak around these limits because, I mean, it's, it's a huge, you know, uh, tens of billions of dollar industry. You know, it, it's been like an industry for centuries forever, at this forever, point. Forever, yeah. 
Yeah, every most people early human civilizations came. You know, they and this is something I've always taught when I've we've taught history is that you know that was the foundation and the sign to look for for early you know human civilizations was uh, where there was healthy uh, sea ecology. You know, fishing and so forth that was the and always the first big thing for uh, you know protein intake. For human societies, because it was easy to get to, easier to farm than it, you know, uh, before livestock was domesticated. You know, this really was the first big source of protein for us. Now, there were at least two blips that I know of. One is much more impactful and the other not so much. So for those who are familiar with Jewish custom, there are animals that are considered um, <laughs> unable to be eaten in that culture. Now, yes. this... Now, one of those things that is not kosher is um, shellfish. And the reasoning comes from a reading in Leviticus um, 11, 19, and 12, which pretty much states, um, I'm just paraphrasing here, that if it's in the ocean and it did not have fins or scales, that it was considered an abomination and you should not eat it. Now, it is important to understand that if you look at it from a religious standpoint, understanding God's creatures and whatnot, it's one way of looking at it and not feeding on scavengers. But on the other hand, from a health standpoint, like if you are eating these crustaceans and these things, we all know someone who's gotten sick from food poisoning from eating bad shellfish. So yeah. if these people don't know how to cook it properly, they're, they might die. And that's why like in America, uh, when you have sushi, you know, you can't have raw crab. You no. can't have raw shrimp. So those are the one thing that I always tell people who are uh, nervous or cautious to try, you know, uh, sashimi or maki. Uh, you know, you know, try the uh, the shrimp or the crab because it's going to be cooked because it's required to be cooked in this country because of you know uh, pesticides and parasites and those are the things not pesticides parasites because we <laughs> uh, yeah dude sorry it's been a long week already man first week back and and a lot of uh, we had a very long charity event all day yesterday so yeah no but yeah uh, anyways parasites yeah and uh it's one of those things that we want to protect people from because you're right you do hear about people getting worms uh you know they eat uh what was it oh you know i watched uh, re uh we watched uh daria this summer on hulu because the whole series was up and i was like yes i loved this show as a kid and there's an episode where her father jake uh as a consultant he's supporting this sushi restaurant and he eats the raw fish and, 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 and the raw shrimp, and he gets like a worm. I mean, it's like a two-foot worm. In, in <laughs> and he, you know, and that's just kind of the sign, though. That's the, but that's the truth, you know, that you need to be cautious here uh, with some of these animals. Just because, you know, uh, you're right. It, it, there is some wisdom there. I'll say that, you know, our practices are not the same, though, that they were, you know, Oh no! Tens of thousands of years ago. Yeah, you know, things have definitely changed. However, there was one other group of people who did not like a certain shellfish, and those on uh, this one's fun bit of American history: the workers of Maine and a lot of the New England area refused to eat lobster every day. Lobster That's what I think about when I think about Maine. Lobsters were considered peasant food and garbage because when you actually look at a lobster, it looks like a roach. And so people refused to eat it. It was, in fact, in oh. people's workers' contracts. Was it good, it, like, advertising? It was, like, was that it? it? was like a big campaign, like, eat the lobster. All the luxurious people do. 
No, it, it, I mean, it probably happened over time as like people, there's probably a couple of chefs down the line, but it was one of the funniest things I ever saw on like a history channel special that was talking about weird history in America where these farmers and these um, people who were working the docks are like, no, we're not eating this. This is gross. It was in their contracts that you cannot feed us this every day. You have to give us something else. And I find that hysterical because when you go to your local supermarket, lobster is definitely not the cheapest thing on that menu. So oh. Joe. You. No, not at all. Yeah, so people's views on crustaceans have definitely flip-flopped back and forth, but it's still really fun just to see not just, you know, the biology of these animals, but the impact they have had on our culture. Like you said, they're one of our first sources of protein. I mean, you look at, you look at, I mean, the, the American food thing is a weird debate, though, because you look at other uh, odd choices. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of our eating habits do come from from decade-long uh, marketing campaigns. Oh yeah. I mean, who who, who would ever say? Because I remember, uh, you know, going to an international college during my undergrad. Uh, all my friends were when we would have like Lucky Charms. Like, like you eat this for breakfast? Like, why are you eating marshmallows for breakfast? Oh no, please! I was raised by a Brazilian family. I never had any of that stuff. <laughs> Like, no, no, this is wrong. Here, eat this. Here, eat these frosted flakes as far as we're going because we have those in Brazil too. But otherwise, no, that is literally a cookie <laughs> for breakfast. For breakfast, only in America, man. Only in America. Show, yeah, yo, for all our audience here, show your friend from Germany what a Pop-Tart is and tell them what that is for <laughs> They're breakfast. They're not even legal in Europe because it's got like flame retardants in it. Ah, <laughs> uh, fun. Well, I think we sidetracked for that. The point is, crustaceans are awesome. We're going to go ahead and talk about some of the crustacean Pokemon that were thrown into the game. So let's get started. Yes. All right, let's get cracking and go ahead and start ha, with... Ha. I know, dude, I work in an aquarium. I got nothing but fish and crab jokes. Uh, we are going to be going into the biggest crab of them all. We're going to go skip right past Krabby and go to Kingler because that is a giant crab monster and he looks amazing. And he's a pretty good place to start. So uh, based on the name, obviously he's based on a combination of King and Fiddler. So he's a King Fiddler crab. Now, if you've never seen a Fiddler crab, they just kind of look like Kangler, just a crab, but with one enormous claw and one very normal sized claw. Fun fact, depending on the genetic structure, you can have one with either a big right-handed claw or a big left-handed claw. It's not like the one specific claw. So each one of these crabs are going to use their claw for two things. So they're going to use it to communicate to others, so by waving it in the air, very fun to watch, but they'll also use it, well, for fighting. They're going to use it to go and attract mates, and they mentioned that, that they use it for communication in the Pokedex. But uh, unlike the Pokedex, a lot of the Pokedex entry says that Kingler will fall to the ground sometimes because its claw is so heavy. Yeah, no, that, that, that's not how nature works. If you're too weak to wield it, then you're not gonna get it. The other thing that the Pokedex did, and it's, it's the weirdest thing because I've been reading it, and I've been literally looking at this for weeks to try and find a way to crack it, but it says that it has a 10,000 horsepower in its claw. Wait, what? Yeah, something at 10,000 horsepower, like a force, but that that's not how horsepower works. That's no, not what it is. Horsepower it horsepower is a measure of the rate at which work is done, not force. It would be like saying that my fist has 20 liters of force into you. Like, it's a, what? <laughs> that, not, that doesn't mean anything. The only thing I could compare it to, I decided to 
all right, Pokemon, I'll humor you, is that it, the only thing I found that was interesting that had 10,000 horsepower of anything was those drag racing cars. They blast at different uh, racing shows. You know, the ones that can go 330 miles per hour in a few seconds? Those things are terrifying because if you think about it imagine putting some that kind of power into an animal's claw imagine if that claw let's humor them can go 330 miles per hour in a few seconds forget whatever is happening to you if you hit them that thing's a puddle your arm is just going to explode like biologically speaking your arm gone i don't care how much how much power you think your crab ever is going to have it's just dead uh, the good news is that if it did lose its arm, Kingler should actually know recovery. All the crustaceans should learn to recover because these animals can regrow their limbs if they lose them. In fact, there have been found that studies of species of fiddler crabs, when they lose their limb with the largest muscle in it, they will grow back not a real arm, but a fake arm, like an arm that looks like it's all put together, but in fact has no meat Wait, inside. what? So yeah, they grow a fake arm. And, and the reason that's weird the, the reasoning is just that if um if there's someone's coming at you like most animals are going to avoid a fight but if you at least look terrifying you get left alone and so i think that's really cool like most most people don't consider crustaceans intelligence but that is a strategic move done by this sweet little crab uh, incidentally, most of them are too small to be eaten, so don't even think about it. And uh, what is funny is that with the um, species, I don't know why the girls have the giant claws, because it's really only the boys that get them, because they're the ones who have to fight for the girls. Ah, fun. Anywho, next up, uh, usually I save the scary ones for the first one, but I decided to put the scariest one in the second, you know, change things up. And we're going to talk about corefish. And most people are... Corefish is adorable. Corefish is adorable. He's a crayfish Pokemon. Crawfish, I, I say crawdad, uh, crawfish, crayfish. Like when you're in the south, you just have six different names for it. Uh, the important thing about it is that the Pokedex talks about two things specifically that are to become concerned. One is that they live in the worst water possible, and that they adapt to any ecosystem. And that is a hundred percent correct. You get our approval. This is exactly what these animals can do. Um, I was once working with a group of kids going out for a summer camp, and we went to one of the local rivers. And the guide told us, "All right, so we're gonna go look in this river. If you find something, if you find certain animals, it'll show you that the ecosystem's in good condition. If you only find crayfish, that means this water is toxic, and nothing else is gonna be living in it." So crayfish are used as an indicator for just how toxic a river is because if they're the only ones there, they're the only ones that can survive. And so that's actually something that I never even thought of because, again, most of us just consider eating them like a lot all the time. They're the best. If you haven't had crayfish yet, don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh, and that hardiness could be a range of reason why they're still around in the southern parts of the United States. The Mississippi River is not in the best shape, but people are... No, no it's, especially with all the bull sharks. Oh, leave the bull sharks alone. They're beautiful, beautiful creatures. They are. But what's cool is that even places like Louisiana or Mississippi that are right there next to that river, they can collect crayfish all the time because there's just so many of them. Uh, but there is another part. They do mention that they are brought in as pets and became invasive, and that is 100% correct. Um, it's actually worse than the game makes it. The real world is actually far scarier uh, because there was this species about 25 years ago called the marbled crayfish, and it was brought to Europe decades ago, like 20 years ago or so and then 
it mutated. You don't see mutations like this very often. They happen rarely in nature. But this one decided to mutate and become asexual. It doesn't need a mate. It just clones itself. That constantly. Sounds it sounds boring, but it's terrifying. Because now this invasive animal does not need to pick up a date. They just spawn constantly. Forever. Like they don't stop. They're unedible. They eat out the other competition. They are the closest thing that you will get to a plague. And if you've ever heard of like the gray goo theory of like nanomachines like consuming everything, that is the closest that nature can provide. It is a gray blob of death that just consumes everything in its path. And there's really nothing that'll stop it. They'll eat everything, even the other crayfish. And there's no real way of dealing with them or killing them without destroying the ecosystem. Yeah, no, on the bright side, I did find a paper discussing how we uh, study this, and uh, we actually used this to study how cancer spread. So thank you, Crayfish, you terrifying, terrifying little bug. All right, next up, we have uh, Dweeble and Crustle. You, people, um, these are one of the Pokemon that usually people forget. So these are the Hermit Crab Pokemons, uh, and I honestly, I, I love them. They're adorable. Dweeble is ridiculously Level. cute. Dwebble, Dwebble. I always call him Dweeble. Dwebble, no, thank you. Dwebble, yeah. is ridiculously cute. And they're both fully functional hermit crabs. Uh, but they do have that twist. Instead of taking shells from other Pokemon, like all the glorious Helix's shells, uh, they are going to be taking rocks. And they're going to be making shells out of those. Uh, apparently in the Pokedex, it lets them spit acid to make the homes in the rocks. But they don't learn acid spray or, like, toxic or anything poison. Like... Uh, we'll let that slide, but I really do love that these um, Pokemon are pretty much fully French Hermit Crabs. Everything else about them is just fine. These animals, um, it's really cool to actually watch them work. Uh, they are super picky about their shells in the real world. Like, you can give a pet hermit crab a dozen shells, and he'll only find one of them that he can actively live in. And I've watched it. I've watched hermit crabs get out of their shell, try out different shells, and just go right back to their old one because that was the one that was most comfortable. <laughs> what is um, what is cool about Pokemon is they do the same thing. They mention how it's super picky, and just like a real hermit crab, it's going to go through dozens of rocks in its lifetime just to find a home. Now, Crustal, uh, it says that it's territorial, which is not something they show in real life, but they do fight. Uh, if you've ever wanted to see just the biggest mosh pit in nature, one of the best videos of that is watching hermit crabs fight for a shell. Because what happens is the hermit crab is going to climb out of their old shell while still holding on to it and try and fit into a new shell. Now, typically what will happen is there's multiple hermit crabs fighting over the same shell. And then when you get out of your shell, there's hermit crabs fighting for that shell. When they get out of their shell, there's hermit crabs fighting for that one, and so on and so forth. And so what you have is just this giant pile of crabs all just trying to get into, like, one or two different shells. It is fantastic to watch, and I love it. And I most really people don't like give sounds like, like Like, if we just change this to certain groups of people in the South and trailer parks, this could be, like, a History Channel show. Uh, yes, I... I I miss History Channel. I miss it. <laughs> Absolutely no history on this channel. Uh, did, man, there was some good history back in the day. I miss it. Yeah, uh, Anywho. Ten years ago. Yeah, ten years ago when I was a kid sick in bed with the flu. Just like, ah, oh, History Channel, you're my only comfort. Next up, uh, we have Kloitzer. And Kloitzer is based on one of the most popular shrimp in pop culture, and that is uh, the pistol shrimp. It, even You've heard of it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's cute. cute, and it's um also. Can you shoot, 
It like shoots water, doesn't it? It, it has a similar effect. So that's what most people know about it. That they, they it's shown to be a, like a gun, like it cocks and shoots water. Uh, the one thing you should know first is that the pistol shrimp is it's not one species. There's over a thousand different species of pistol shrimp, and they are the loudest animals on earth. They are at least on the top list of one of the loudest on earth. Of uh, the species, it's known for its ability uh, with its claws. But instead of shooting water, what happens? is that it will cock its claw like a gun. It will build up pressure. And then it will close that claw so fast that within four centimeters of itself, it creates what's known as a cavitation bubble. Now, a cavitation bubble is what happens when that pressure in the water drops so rapidly that it creates the, it hits the vaporization pressure of water. You don't have to heat water to boil it. You just need to reach its vaporization pressure. Now, when that happens, it quickly collapses and it creates almost like a shotgun of sound just blasting knocking out anything that is within that range it is horrifying to watch especially when you look at the actual numbers behind it what turns out when the bubble collapses it creates a spark of light and when they recorded the temperature of that light it was burning around 4700 degrees celsius oh. That is That's like as high as the sun. It is close to the temperature of the surface of the sun. And that was like for a split second. The Pokemon, uh, they took this and they just rolled with it. They just, all right, let's make it a giant gun arm and we'll go ahead and work with that. They even created the ability Mega Launcher. And Mega Launcher works out really well for it. They made the claw as terrifying as you could possibly make it. Uh, what is sad, though, is that, um, uh, I mean, it's far from terrifying in the game. It's got a punch, but it's got no defense, which is sad for a crustacean. They did add... An interesting thing, they said that this Pokemon can move at 60 knots by pumping water out the back end of the gun, and that's weird? Like, I mean, like, you have a gun, man, use it. You have you have a way of firing it. Uh, but what is fun is that the claw closes at around 60 knots, so I think that was a nice little touch they put into it. Uh, but it is cool. When I, when I said they're the loudest animal, I was doing some research at work about sound and levels. So a rock concert, like your stereotypical rock concert, is going to rock you at about 130 decibels. Um, a rocket launch from like Kennedy Space Center is going to be over 180 decibels. Keep in mind that the human threshold is only meant to do about 140 before our eardrums rupture. Yes. But pistol shrimps can hit about 200 to 240 decibels in that single second. That clicking and that clacking is so disruptive that it screws with our nation's and other nations' sonar technology. So that's how loud these things are. They are louder than sperm whales and more annoying to boot. But you can eat them. Yeah, the Pokedex, they say you can eat them, and then everybody else says you can eat them too. L okay, let's, let's face it. Half the things on this list can be eaten. Except our last Pokemon. You don't the want to try it. The last Pokemon we're going to be covering on this list is one that I think wins the award for coolest design of, like, the past three gens. Galissapod. Oh my gosh. That thing is terrifying. I love it. And it's... now available on PokemonCenter.com. Is it really? Do they have, like, a plush and everything? Yeah, it just came out. It's part of the uh, that line where they were doing, uh, uh, like, the, the bosses boss costume mm. Pikachus and then it came with like so like the Giovanni Pikachu and Mewtwo plush yeah oh yeah they have it available now oh now I gotta go buy it you should but go anyway, get it you should no, go it's, get it. 
I, I need to get it. it. It sounds fantastic. Cause it's one of my favorite designs. And when everyone saw Wimpod, it's like, what is this little thing no, going to turn into? I'm telling you, man, don't wait because uh, you know it's like uh, what was the one I wanted? It was Cartana, and that was only last month it was put out, and it's already gone. Jesus, no, no, I'm gonna get on this after we're done recording. Uh, what is cool about this Pokemon, more so than its design, which is pretty hard to tell, is that this thing does not just come out of nowhere. It's not like the fever dream of Ridley Scott. This thing is based <laughs> on a real Pokemon, a real animal called um, the, uh, the Isopods. So Isopods are crustaceans. They're just, there's only 12,000 species of them. There's, there's quite a bit, but what's cool is that they are multi-segmented, usually flattened, and mostly have more, way more than 10 legs. Uh, there are a few species on land, but most of them live in deep ocean. If you want to see one on land, uh, go outside. If you're in Florida, I don't know if they have any anywhere else. If you go in Florida and you go look through the dirt, you're going to find the little pill bugs you used to play with as a kid. Like the little ones that was just, we call them roly polies. And then they just, they just roll up into a little ball and you just put them back and they unroll and you pick them up and they roll up again. Yeah, the roly poly bugs, they're a type of isopod. Like they're super cute. Do you have those in Ohio? Uh, the, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. Okay, so you, kids in Ohio can also do it too. We verified two states, 48 more to go. <laughs> but what it is, um, uh, what is fun is that these species, as you go deeper into the ocean, they get scarier and scarier until you reach the 20 species of giant isopods that, instead of being smaller than your thumb, are over a foot and a half long superbugs of terror and death. They have super reflective eyes. They come right out of your nightmare. When you look at them from underneath, they just have these horrifying little claw legs that look like they want to grab onto your face and lay eggs in your mouth. They are terrifying, and I love them. They are so cool. The idea of having this as a Pokemon of death is super awesome, and I can see why they made changes to it designed based on the original, because as scary as the giant isopod looks, it's not exactly scary in its movement. This animal doesn't move that much or eat that much or breed that much just kind of stays in the bottom and scavenges what it can find and when you're down to the bottom like it is it is not like the mag showing you like the secret this secret ocean underneath where all this life is no it is barren and dead you have a better chance finding food in the death valley than you're gonna find in there and what's so cool is that these animals adapted to that the record for an I giant isopod not eating when kept in the aquarium was five years. They went five years without feeding this thing, which is against all zoo practices, and they should have been like, they should be fired and all everyone kicked out of that zoo. But five years without eating. When they're feeding these things at zoos, when they have them, it's like, well, he might eat this week, he might eat this month. They offer him food, but they just usually don't go for it because they don't care. These animals live in a state of like almost semi hibernation. They barely do anything, and that's because living in the deep ocean, you gotta save your strength, you gotta save up what you gotta do. Uh, what is fun, in Japan and other places, you'll find that people have made giant isopod phone cases, and it's just as creepy looking as it sounds. It is fantastic, and I love that this Pokemon exists. If you wanted to make Wimpod scarier, though, you could base him off another species of isopod that is parasitic, because there are a few parasites, and un unlike the other ones, these ones, instead of just latching onto the skin, will climb into a fish's mouth at some point. They'll just find their way in there, and they will cut off the fish's tongue, eat it, and then replace the tongue. They will become the fish's new tongue and eat all the scraps that are left behind in its mouth. 
it is a, it, it is kind of gross, but it's also kind of awesome. What other parasite isn't just going to like destroy a part of your body and then like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to break it off. Look, I'll be the tongue now. I'll be your tongue. Everything's fine. Don't call the police. Don't tell mom. Everything's fine. It's so cool to see that. Now, granted, the fish doesn't really have much say in the matter, but the fish that they found with the ice spot have lived like longer, long lives with these animals in them. So it's a parasite that is horrifying to get but once it's in there i'm sure it'll be fine I i'm sure if, if, if it happened to me i'm sure everything would be just okay and it's nice to see that though it is it's nice to see that they took the effort with isopods and putting them in because they are such a cool crustaceans and we talked a lot about food and culture but crustaceans are more than just food they are some of the most dominant life forms in the ocean there is not an ecosystem in there that does not have some kind of crustacean either cleaning some animal or becoming food for some animal or cleaning up the scraps of its cousin that was just food for some animal they're so cool and i'm so glad pokemon took the initiative i mean honestly it's japan they 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 love the ocean what one way or another they love to eat the ocean they love to be with the ocean they love the ocean and i think let me check my list yeah i think that wraps things up we unless you got any final comments it. we love to eat it we love to <laughs> everything all at once yeah no we we dove it all at once. we love it and eat it at the same time huh that sounds like red lobster slogan all right in any case <laughs> time to wrap this up we got a few announcements to get to yeah well, I always have fun talking about the deep blue sea and the many wonderful, terrifying things that live in it. So if you guys love these animals or you're terrified of them, that's good. You, that means you're thinking about them, and that's what matters. So before we go, our final announcements, our second live stream episode will be up on August 27th at 8 p.m. on our YouTube channel. The link will be down below. Yay. Yeah, it's going to be fun because we're going to be doing – You guys better join. Please, please. And, and you know, if you're on the Facebook, come to the group. Uh, we have the event on the group. Please go share it. You know, we want uh, we want to have you guys come. This is going to be a fun one. Yeah, it's going to be fun because we're doing whatever. Every podcaster or YouTuber should do. We're going to talk about Pokemon that need to be made, and we want you guys to help. We have our list of four. But we're doing it for a better reason. <laughs> Let's be clear. For science. Yes. For, no, legitimately, though, we are. You know, we, we, we're we not talking about, oh, man, you know, I really want to see a kangaroo Pokemon. It's going to be great. Kangaroos are the best. No, no. We want to talk about what especially with the science here, you know, what we feel like absolutely needs to be in these games, why, and, you know, what kind of builds we think it would have, and we want you to do the same. Now, we should make one thing clear. No food and no no appliances. No, no, or living, living organics only, please. Yeah, that's, that's what we're going to work with. We, If we wanted the geology stuff, we'd have brought a geologist. We're not that good at that. So, yeah, just make it something that's alive or was alive, and we can work with that. But, yeah, no, no blenders, um, no snow cones. Just we're going to keep it. No, alive. and we'll get back to we'll get back to geology and stuff later. But, we, no, legitimately, we're, you know, we want to uh, – we want to know uh, what things you think need to be in the game. So please, you know, mail us uh, on uh, our, our Yahoo email or our, you know, on Facebook. Uh, you know, let us know what you think needs to be in the game and tell us why. Tell us why you think it needs to be there and what kind of build it would have. You know, it's typing, it's attacks, it's abilities, and so forth. Yeah. Now, um, as per usual, uh, you guys can follow us on iTunes, Podbeam, and now on YouTube. Uh, more people oh. follow. 
yeah, the more stuff we can get. Yeah, we're on the YouTube. We'll have the links and stuff down below if you're listening on iTunes or Podbeam. Uh, but a little bit announcing on a personal note. Um, every year I go to Dragon Con, which is in Atlanta. It's 80,000 nerds all gathered and destroying and or living and loving Atlanta. It's fantastic. And this is the second year they've invited me to do a Science of Pokemon panel. Uh, this year they're letting me also do a Monster Hunter panel. And then they've invited me to be part of a panel since it's the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein's creation as a book. They want to talk about what would actually happen if something was brought to life. How would it be created? How would it be taken care of? That sort of thing. And I'm super excited to be a part of it. It um, would be a robot. <laughs> oh, it would. It might be a robot. It could be a disease. But the point is, it's going to be a whole lot That's of fun. So if you yeah. are in Atlanta, if you're going to Dragon Con, we will be there. I think we'll actually be recording the last one. So I'll be able to actually link that to you guys and how we and my thoughts on bringing things back to life. Uh, but well, and that, hmm? we're also we're also going to be at uh, Cleveland uh, is home to the Midwest's uh, first LGBT con. Ooh. Uh, Flaming River Con. Yeah, we're going to be there too uh, for a Science of Pokemon uh, special panel on Pokemon and economics, as well as uh, talking about some social uh, difficulties in economics. Uh, and that is in September on the 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, we have a bunch of events coming up, which is pretty awesome. No, I love it. Uh, and like he said before, we do have our Poke Science page on Facebook, which I always link in the comments. We have our Poke Science at Yahoo.com email if you guys need that. Uh, but all of all, we're on, we're on uh, uh, Discord, too. Oh, yeah. we are on Discord. Yeah, come talk to us. We, we both of us don't log on very often, but you, you can most certainly post a message. We will, we will respond. Yeah, no, all of that being said, thank you guys coming episode after episode. We are just about over 3,000 people having listened in total. That's more than I ever thought we'd get out of this. No, and, and I, we love you guys so much. Seriously, guys this the is best. awesome. Yes, thank you, you so much for doing this. Now, yeah. we got to get going, but thank you so much. We'll see you at the live episode. If not, we'll see you at our next episode because September, we talking about reptiles and fossils. So see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, guys.